Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's going to get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about CanadaLand and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support CanadaLand. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a CanadaLand supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com join. And thank you. It's weird to ask you to give us money when we just give this away for free. You don't have to give us money. But you know what? Thousands of people do because they just understand that that's how we do this. And we give you something back. We give you ad-free podcasts. It's very simple. You can become one of these people doing this weird thing. Just uh, click on the link in the show notes or go to canadalandshow.com slash join. And instantaneously for five bucks a month Canadian, you will get an ad-free feed. Bloop. Just installed right on your podcatcher. Go do it. Karen Pugliese, professor of journalism at Ryerson U, former APTN news boss, former Canadian Association of Journalists president. Welcome. Hey. Glad to have you here. You're actually here, separated by a sheet of glass in our studio. It's been six months since a human being has been here recording with me. It's it's nice to see you. <laughs> it's, the, it's nice to see another human being. Karen, today we're going to talk about... Uh, Justin Trudeau. He just needs some space, okay? Canada is a very special lady, but things got so intense this summer. He just needs some time by himself, wants to take a break, you know, think about things. So let's chill with all the questions, just like fresh new start this September. Sound good? <laughs> it sounds like politics. Post Media stands in solidarity with Rebel News. If Ezra Levant isn't considered a journalist, then neither are they. Which, I don't know, maybe that could work out. Glad to have you here. Glad to be here. Karen, this episode is brought to everybody by Jackie Olmsted, Jana Late, Stephen Ginley, Christina Bourne, Megan Verardo, John Bilodeau, and Stephanie. My name is Stephanie, and I work in international development. I started listening to Canada Land in pretty early days because I'd been out of the country for a few years at that point and I was incredibly homesick and it was just really nice to hear my accent in a podcast. Then your Meet a Week coverage came along and that's why I became a supporter because I love my job and I care about seeing it done ethically and done well and Canada Land is helping make sure that happens. So for five bucks a month, I am happy to help. 
the coming weeks, we will present our plan to rebuild a stronger, more resilient Canada. This will be our roadmap out of the pandemic towards a society that is fairer and more welcoming, towards communities that are better prepared for future crises, and towards a country where everyone is safer and healthier. As our first step to make this plan a reality, we will present a speech from the throne on Wednesday, September 23rd. Today, I have asked the Governor-General to prorogue Parliament, which must happen before any government can present a throne speech. And a few hours later, out come the we scandal revelations. Did you catch that story, Karen? I, I've been following so much of the, the we story. It was uh, answers to the questions that, like, we could have settled this at the very beginning. The questions, I think, has have always been... Whose idea was this? Where did this come from? Given that the Trudeau family has this extensive relationship and Trudeau himself has this relationship with we, was it his government's idea? Was it his idea personally? Uh, or was it the public services idea? Or was it we's idea? And there were voices at the beginning saying like, look, just release the documents now. Don't wait till you have to. And we could figure that out. They didn't do that. And it's just been like pulling teeth. And we saw the committee meetings and on and on. And it's been over a month. And finally, right after, hours after Trudeau says he's proroguing parliament, which has the effect of calling off three different Commons committee inquiries into the we scandal, we finally get an answer to that question. And it's a very clear and concrete answer. Whose idea was it for we to do this? It was the Trudeau cabinet's idea. It was Minister Chagger, who uh, the first reference to this is Craig Kilberger in an email to Minister Chagger uh, saying, we appreciate your thoughtful offer to connect us with relevant members of your ministry. Our weekend team has also been hard at work to adapt your suggestion of a second stream focused on a summer service opportunity. I mean, it looks bad. You know, I think uh, a lot of governments uh, have a history, like it's become a thing to prorogue when you kind of get into trouble or too much into a scandal. I think like really the obligation of media is to keep digging into the story, prorogue or no prorogue. But that looks very... Bad. It looks like there was this pre-discussion after everything that we heard, after testimony that we heard. It looks like there was some intervention by the government to kick the ball off and start it rolling is the way that I interpreted it. You bring up a great point just because this effectively calls off uh, Parliament committee inquiries. It doesn't mean we have to stop inquiring and it doesn't stop the ethics commissioner inquiry either. But like it was bizarrely handled in the media. Like when I first saw that wire story, that's uh, that's like now the Globe and Mail, the Toronto Star, CBC, that was their story. It takes a while of reading the story to realize what is revealed in this. The, the headline is documents suggest bureaucrats were nudged to look to We Charity for student program. Well, they were nudged like it's it's sort of innuendo-ish. It's like not concrete. And then, and then the lead paragraph says that Trudeau's story was backed up by the documents. If you take that very in a limited way, like that the public service recommended We to Trudeau is backed up. It's sort of like... I want to strongly suggest to you that you strongly suggest to me. Well, now we know Craig Kilberger was lobbying for one program. And then Chagger says, OK, but how about this other program that we're cooking up? And that's where it came from. We also know from these documents that the prime minister's office was weighing in from April 19th. Trudeau was like, no, 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 I didn't know about this till May 8th. You know, well, his office was on it from the 19th. All the language around this has been evasive, misleading. I'm not going to say deceitful or lying because I think they were careful in all the wording, but, but you know, the facts are in. And to this other question of like, what is the relevance of um, the fact that Margaret Trudeau and to a lesser extent, Sasha Trudeau were paid like a half a million dollars over the years. And those years being like the years of Justin Trudeau being prime minister. Well, when we finally sends their proposal to the public service, they've been handed off to the public service. They include photographs of Margaret Trudeau and Sophie Gregoire Trudeau at their events in case the public service didn't know that we had this relationship with the Trudeau family. Uh, the Kilbergers made sure that they knew. So that's all there. OK, so getting on to the journalism of it. One of the things I thought was interesting about the original Candleland reporting was how reluctant 
news organizations were to report on we first of all because of the hostility and um, the fear of lawsuits mm -hmm. and then secondly because of all these partnerships I think it goes to speak and maybe this is like a lesson for media in the future. You can get yourself into a conflict of interest situation pretty easily by doing these media partnerships. So for a long time, there's just like you do the story, it doesn't get picked up anywhere. It's just kind of dead and sitting there. And then this this new thing happens. I thought it was a really interesting change in the media that they started picking up the story Everybody went all after it like, you know, like a pack of wolves, each sort of tearing off a little piece of meat so that they could go in and investigate it, right? Somebody's looking into the property issue. Yeah. Some people are following the political story. And everybody's kind of like rolling the ball now and uh, really looking into the investigation. And I guess it, it just needed that that reason that it came into the field of politics and it came into a place where they said, well, we we can't not cover this now. You love to see it. On the other hand, there's still aspects of it that people don't want to touch. And it had to kind of come into the stream of a very narrow focus where the Canadian media is comfortable getting tough, which is if it touches the PMO. You know, turning back to what, we're, what, we, what we just learned with the proroguing and with these documents coming out, it's still frustrating to me how big a role deceiving the public or at a minimum misleading the public has been throughout this. I want to be fair. Like, I think that when Trudeau prorogued or announced he was going to prorogue uh, and then prorogued, that was reported the way it should be reported because he has a story about that. And his story, as I was joking earlier, like he has to give a reason. Why are you doing this? And his reason just doesn't make any sense and doesn't even mention that he's in the midst of this huge scandal. So the headlines quite accurately said, you know, you, you, you can't say conclusively he's proroguing because of we charity scandal. But you can say he's proroguing in the midst of the we charity mm -hmm. scandal. So that, I think, is the way we should handle things like that. But when Bill Morneau resigned, far too much credibility was given to his official story. And even there, there were like layers of misdirection. It's not like the media ignored the truth, the real reasons why. But like, what was Morneau's thing? I met with the prime minister today to inform him that I did not intend to run again in the next federal election. It's never been my plan to run for more than two federal election cycles. As we move to the next phase of our fight against the pandemic and pave the road towards economic recovery, we must recognize that this process will take many years. It's the right time for a new finance minister to deliver on that plan for the long and challenging road ahead. That's why I'll be stepping down as finance minister and as member of parliament for Toronto Centre. I still intend to continue to serve and have decided to put my name forward to become the next Secretary General of the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development. He's leaving by choice because there's another job that he likes. So even though, yes, he's the finance minister in the midst of the biggest economic mm -hmm. disaster, like his legacy will, uh, as finance minister will absolutely be about how well he did. He's going to leave in the middle of that job because he never intended to stay on for the long term. And like, it's just a completely... It's not credible. It's not real. It's not true. You know, the way that it kind of rolled out, too, was interesting. So I was a Hill reporter for many years. I mean, nowhere near the caliber of Bob Fife. I never had, you know, like his contacts or uh, his expertise. But I did six years on the Hill and then I did a political show for, I think, two years after that. And I mean, you work a lot sometimes with the opposition because whoever's in the opposition becomes the people who will sometimes feed you stories or tell you um, they found a loophole in legislation. And then you've got people in the offices who want to leak you things. Like you're always thinking, why are they telling me this? And is it news? So Bob Fife got this, um, you talked about it last week, I think, mm -hmm. got this tip that there's this fight happening in the PMO between Bill Morneau and Trudeau and that there's some tension there. And then they're like, no, 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 we've got each other's support publicly. So, I mean, to me, this is the creation of a spin to have people say, listen, he's not the fall guy for we. 
there's a little something, a little disagreement between Trudeau and him, but it's clearly nothing personal and clearly not that important. It's probably just over the direction that they want to take. And then it makes it look like he can leave and everything's all lovely. But it takes the fact that he's actually taking the fall for we, you know, out of the speculation as to why he just walked off the job. And as you correctly point out, it distracts us from the very obvious thing, which is that very early on, both of these guys were caught in a conflict of interest. By the technical rules of conflict of interest, Morneau's was worse because there was actual money that he had to pay back. And because, as we reported, uh, his family members, it looks like they took a private plane and there's specific rules against taking a private plane. So once the ethics commissioner is through with them, Morneau's going to be looking worse than Trudeau. I anticipate you can forecast that. And Trudeau's looking ahead at that. We know how Trudeau scandals go. Somebody's head rolls. Last time it was Jerry Butts. Mm -hmm. And Trudeau early on was making noises about how Morneau shouldn't have done that, even though they both did it. You know, Trudeau was saying, yeah, Morneau should. And I thought, oh, that's the sound of Morneau going under the wheels. The problem is that if they explicitly say that Morneau is the sacrifice, he's the scapegoat for the we. Th- then the public question is like, okay, well, how come you're safe? Exactly. Right? Exactly. So Bob Fife was a tool. He was, well, a, he was I, a tool of spin. He was. I, I don't know about that. I've interviewed people where uh, they say things and I just accept that the public is going to be smart enough to know what they're saying. My style was never really a, a Jesse Brown kind of argument of style. Um, I would just sit there and say, oh yeah, tell me more about that. Tell me more about that. And kind of let them vary. I mean, like, look, we're having this whole conversation. I think people are media literate. He reported what he was told and then sat back and watched the reaction to it, right? Look, I, I'm not saying he was wrong to be a tool. But was what he reported true? Like, that's the main question. The main thing and why Fife was happy and why I think the Globe Mail considers that a big win of a story is that they were the first to report that Morneau's going out. Mm-hmm. And then you, you get the same prime minister's office that spun Bob Fife by telling him it's about this rift, but Morneau is leaving, turns around almost immediately and says, we have 100% confidence in Morneau. And then the same prime minister's office basically, come on, fires Bill Morneau, and the public is told, no, that's not what happened. Trudeau did not ask for Morneau's resignation. He walked. He wasn't pushed. I credit people with being really smart, but I also don't credit them with being as in the weeds of the granular aspects of this as we are. And I, f- I feel like we should be more affronted by just the bullshit of it. I mean, if like if you were to just tell this whole thing by the official stories that like Trudeau and we have provided, like everything is just wrong. Like the official version of this is like Trudeau is shutting down parliament to take a little break so that the next throne speech can talk about COVID, okay? Yeah, he said that, you know, he wasn't going to do proroguing for political reasons. That's a Stephen Harper thing. But let's not call this a prorogue. This is just a, a refresh. It's a re- He's hitting the reset button, right? And, and Bill Morneau had Justin Trudeau's total support. But, you know, this other job looked awesome. So he decided he would leave. And, you know, it just goes on and on. You want to talk about we. We does terrific work. Trudeau will tell you to this day they're fantastic, you know. That's why he volunteered for them, not because of any political advantage. That's why his family works with them, not for money. But you want to say that that has something to do with this uh, volunteer grant? No, that was the public services idea. Like, that's the official story. It goes on and on. And we we will tell you, after denying it, yeah, we paid the Trudeau family, but we didn't pay them for speeches. We paid them to show up at breakfasts and mixers. So that's that's their story. I mean, and yes, it's true that they only really started paying after Trudeau became prime minister. But that's just a coincidence. It was like Margaret Trudeau's expertise as a mental health expert. It's just spin, 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 misdirection, misdirection, misdirection. They registered as lobbyists mm-hmm. after telling everybody that they didn't even think that they met the threshold. And what was their rationale? They said, well, we always thought that lobbyists were people who were paid to lobby government. Mark and Craig are volunteers. So what is our role as the media in the face of like institutions that are like that contemptuous of the public that they would try to peddle that stuff? Like I, I, we're way too easy on them. I, I, I don't know. I think that all of this is coming out. I, I mean, I, I think that this has been like a fascinating story. Like a lot of it was happening and like really hitting so fast and there was so much every day that I, I just eventually like couldn't keep up with all of it because I, I mean, I have a day job and it's not reading newspapers, unfortunately. <laughs> 
Most, and we're in news. Most people uh, tuned out a long time ago. Yeah. And I'll say this because, you know, the, the same the same government is making a lot of noise about like, oh, the discourse is so toxic and people are so mean to our ministers. <laughs> and we're so we're, we're getting to be afraid for our safety. And there are oh. like people who are unhinged and there are people who are misogynistic. So I, like but you can't divorce treating the public's intelligence with so much contempt just insulting people's intelligence and feeding them such baloney and not really having a grown-up conversation with them and then acting surprised when they get really angry with you. And that goes for the press too. Like people get really angry with the press when the documents finally come out that we should have had on day one. Like maybe this should have been a two-day news story. It, maybe it could have been if we just knew what happened at the beginning and we'd say, okay, we forgive you. So you gave it to your friends, this charity that you thought was a good charity. But like the evasions and misdirection that goes on for like six weeks now, how can you act surprised when people are like very, very angry or, or just disengage from the process and turn away in disgust? I mean, this is uh, delightful to see you getting so uh, worked up over politics. I feel like <laughs> I feel like if you'd worked the hill for six years, you you would have like the cynicism would have just killed you by this point. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. We hear a lot about the opioid crisis. We talk a lot about the mental health crisis. These are serious problems. These problems affect us all. They've affected my life and my community. They're not intractable problems. I don't know what's going to solve them on a policy level, but day-to-day helping people, that's what CAMH does. They do it on the ground when people need help, and they do it through research. The team at CAMH gave our team a tour of their facilities, and we were really just blown away by the incredible heroic work that they're doing every day. They treat everyone with dignity and their research is seeking and finding real solutions for everyone around the world. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, It's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody – Half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. Karen, you are one of my favorite listeners of this show, so you know all about Duly Noted. I do know all about Duly Noted. And you know what? This is the first time I've been on Shortcuts. I know. And uh, it's your first Duly Noted. What would you like to note? Okay, first of all, I I no longer work at APTN, but I'll continue to shill for them. I I know that you had Kenneth Jackson on and you were talking about death of expected, as expected, and his investigations into the Child Welfare Agency and children who have been placed in care and subsequently uh, died, Mm -hmm. um, either in care or after care. Also doing work on child welfare at APTN has been Melissa Ridgeton. She's done a series of stories that I've been following. APTN, when they started looking into child welfare, it's such a difficult thing to investigate because you almost need to have these perfect cases in order to prove the, the issue that you're looking into. So she starts looking into birth alerts. And the first story she did where she said, I've got it, was on Baby H. Um, A mother goes into the hospital, has a child by C-section, and they uh, seize the baby 90 minutes afterwards because they said the mother was neglecting it. Wait, neglecting it in the the 90 minutes of the baby's life? Yes. Uh Uh-huh. Apparently, they'd received several reports, was what the uh, child welfare officials, um, and this is a BC case, 
um, that the mother was neglecting the baby. The mother was still on drugs from the surgery, of course, and likely knocked out. But this was their reason for seizing the baby. The father, and I believe there's a recording of this, tried to explain to them what was happening. But they took the child. The child has been in care for a year and had her first birthday in care. They've since had another child and the other child was seized. So that is one story that she's following. There was another one that she was looking into, uh, another birth alert story, where the mother had had her first child seized. She was in um, a relationship. The baby was shaken. She was never charged with shaking the baby, but she was partnered with a gentleman who also wasn't charged, but was later charged with hurting her, like physically harming her. And so this child was taken into care. And maybe, you know, like you always say, well, maybe at that point the child needed to be. When she got with a new partner and had a second child, they seized the infant uh, shortly after birth because she was in the system. She went to court. They were able to get their second child back. And that was when they learned that their first child has actually been adopted. And she is likely going to ha- never have a chance to get her daughter back. This stuff is uh, is heartbreaking and disturbing. We, at a minimum, have to bear witness and read this stuff. Duly noted. I have something incredibly asinine by a point of contrast. We're not dissimilar in age. You, you have to know who Ed the Sock is, right? <laughs> yeah. I, I loved Ed the Sock until I got into... Uh, I, I picked a fight with him on Twitter. <laughs> I try to keep these duly noted brief, but I can't take for granted that like like we have to go back and... T- I have to tell the people who Ed the Sock is because not all of them know. And it's a strange thing to have to explain. But, uh, Jesse, Gen Z doesn't know who Seinfeld is. Uh, all right, kids. So once upon a time, uh, there was a thing called a music video that wasn't on YouTube. It was uh, MTV. And then Canada had its own MTV called Much Music. And we had young pierced people saying, hey, here's a video from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. And they're going to be joining us in studio in a minute. And it was just selling you band after band. Breaking up the procession of these young pierced people who were just selling you band after band for some reason was uh, a sock puppet. Uh, and the sock puppet was sort of like an old cantankerous man, kind of like Oscar the Grouch, as a sock puppet who was smoking a cigar who was like politically incorrect and uh, was like, you know, misogynistic. And if you responded to Ed the Sock, it was because in a world of product and, and glossy pop music confections being sold to teenagers, at least here was this voice that was contrary. Why is it a sock, Jesse? I think it was a sock because if you actually had some weird old man yelling at the Red Hot Chili Peppers, <laughs> it, it, it would have been confusing and odd. Uh, but somehow the sock told you this is a joke. And and so for many years, Ed the Sock was a thing in Canadian media that was uh, at least, you know, I'm not saying it was like genius subversion, but it was like a little bit of a pushback against it's delightfully the, obnoxious. Yeah. And, and, and it, you know, some kind of level of critical, you know, and he would insult the artists and stuff. And. And so I, I was fine with Ed the Sock. Ed the Sock had this, like, as the music video and much music waned, there was, like, a 10-year period where, like, Ed the Sock was, like, now on some, like, late-night show that was a very low budget where there were, like, topless women in a hot tub and it was just getting seedier and weirder and, you know... <laughs> What about that one? <laughs> there, that ha- it was on late, and, and then Ed the Sock kind of disappeared, and then you know, fast forward. Jesse is making Canada Land, and my life surreally involves sitting in this studio across from Canadian media people who I I, I knew only through television screens and, and radio when I was younger, and that's how I came to meet a guy named Stephen, who is Ed the Sock. And Stephen is a decent and delightful, uh, a nice person. He doesn't talk with that voice. And we had a nice interview about the story of Ed the Sock on on an early Canada land. And then I got to know Stephen a little bit. I wouldn't say we're like, you know, close buds or anything, but we're friendly. And he kind of like gave me the, the, the Ed the Sock lament, which was like, Jesse, I built a recognizable, famous Canadian media brand and nobody wants it. I want to get Ed the Sock back mm-hmm. into onto television or onto the internet, but nobody will pay me to do Ed the Sock stuff. And I saw his point. You know, there aren't a lot of famous Canadian media brands, and, and he felt he had something of a lot of value. But my advice was different. My advice was like, you know what, Stephen, if you feel compelled to, like, do stuff, make YouTube videos or podcasts or whatever, I don't think you need the sock. Let the sock die. 
You know, <laughs> I, abs- I I don't know if the sock speaks to to a new generation anyway. I, I, and does the sock work on a podcast? So I was like, you don't need the sock. Absolutely, go do your. Own. Don't ask for anyone's permission. Start your own media company, and God damn it, he did it. He started a podcast network, and it's called the Fu Network, <laughs> the Fun Network. Uh, so you know, like God bless him, and I was glad to see him actually. Like it's an incredible amount of work you got to do to do this, and then imagine my horror when what he built and his Twitter persona, and I'll admit I don't listen to the podcasts, but it seems that the point of this whole endeavor, or at least the posture of the whole endeavor, is that it's it's a Trudeau fan thing. Like, why would you have this, like, fuck you attitude to support the prime minister and his policies? He's a good guy. <laughs> I think he's a good guy. But the reason why he's a duly noted this week is that in his, like, rather reactionary, reflexive defense of all things Trudeau, he called Jagmeet Singh Jughead Mm. in a tweet. And I think any mocking uh, put down of Jagmeet Singh that makes reference to his head invariably, whatever your intention, is going to have the impact of a racist epithet. I think he's since been explicit that that was it was a personality thing that hey I'm not I'm not a racist. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it blew up because I mean Jagmeet Singh in his memoir writes about being taunted as Jughead by racist kids oh, like this is okay. and I I actually buy that he was not necessarily intending to refer to the turban but who cares about your intent the impact is racist and anybody who is sick would absorb that and understand that as racism and it was heard as racism and and, and it hurt as racism and rather than like really apologizing he said now that i've got everyone's attention because he was it was he was trending you know with this jughead put down now that i've got everyone's attention why don't we talk about the lack of uh, drinkable water on indigenous reserves which is like a real issue please no no Ah. (laughs) you know what that is so uh, that, that that's that's icky you know, you can actually make a mistake. I mean, I think people have said questionable things to me sometimes. <laughs> I, I, I won't bring it up, but I think you once said something questionable to me that you now pretend you never said. Oh, God. <laughs> it's happening. <laughs> but, you know, I, I mean, like, people can say things and they, they it, 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 it wasn't exactly what they meant. It wasn't exactly the right word. They said something and then they realize how it's interpreted. And that doesn't necessarily make you a racist or, you know, a sexist or whatever. You can have an accident. But once you realize it, you apologize. Yeah. Uh, again, it's it's not the, the thing itself. It's the aftermath. It's, it's like people reveal themselves and how they respond to these moments. The whole story of, of you know, uh, the the arc of, uh, <laughs> of the epic arc of Ed the Sock has landed, I think, in an unfortunate place. And maybe this is more than just a cause for an apology from from uh, from Stephen. Um, but I don't know. What are you doing? This is a person who I think has something to offer. That's all. Do I get to say duly noted? You do. Duly noted. Karen, you have another one for us. Yes, I do. Um, I just want to talk, this will be a short one, but I just want to talk about um, all this speculation that Christy Freeland may not be qualified for her job. Can I just say that I detect an air of sexism in this? I mean, maybe she didn't have the prior financial experience, but she was deputy prime minister. She did run foreign affairs. These are not easy things to do. But the reason that I say the there, there's a little bit of me asking, is this sexism? is because nobody has really run down the resume of other people, including the prime minister, who, before he became prime minister, his political experience was all in opposition. He never actually was a minister or, you know, like a, a member of cabinet. Wait, your, your position is nobody challenged Justin Trudeau's credentials? I didn't see large articles uh, like this in the media where they were going through and saying, like, sure, the conservatives ran the, oh, is he ready yet? And, you know, you know, nice haircut kind of stuff. Yeah, that but too. I, I forgot not... about that. <laughs> that stuff too. <laughs> and, I, you know, he's, he's always had great hair. I mean, nobody's going to dispute that. But I didn't see, like, this kind of editorial, like you saw, like, in the Globe and Mail, where they're saying, oh, how long can she hold on to the job? She doesn't really have the experience that she was a minister of this and a deputy prime minister, but she isn't from Bay Street. So is she really qualified? And there's all this speculation. 
where was that speculation when Trudeau was running? Where was the uh, article saying he's never been a minister? He's never actually been elected for a government that's in power, and now he's becoming a prime minister. Duly disputed. I, I <laughs> duly disputed. Duly okay, disputed. You send them to me. No, and I, I, look, look. I think it's possible to. Um, is there an element of, of sexism in the in the reaction to Christia Freeland? Yes, absolutely. Is it possible to also be a like have a critical eye towards this appointment? Like, and I don't necessarily even buy the idea that the media is being so hard on her. Like the star today actually has Christia Freeland, a timeline of a life full of accomplishments. That is the title to this sidebar. And it goes through her career and it skips over maybe the only part that is relevant. The biggest amount of money that she ever had control over, I believe, was her last job in journalism when she was, uh, BuzzFeed has a, has a really revealing article about this. It was her job to build this Reuters digital product and it was a debacle and $15 million was burned. And before she could take the blame for the debacle, she left to go join Trudeau. That's not included in the media treatment of her life full of accomplishments. And that actually does like now she's going to be in charge of billions of dollars. So can the public ask questions about whether or not this person is the right person to get us out of the biggest economic challenge? Absolutely. I think we can ask those questions. Are some people seizing upon not computing women and finance and having some problem with that? Yes, there are sexist people who are, I think, hung up on that. But it, it's just too easy to dismiss all criticism. Oh, I, I wouldn't dismiss all criticism, but I'd like to see at least one article that while they're considering her uh, position and whether or not she's quite right for this uh, finance minister position, point out that she's probably more qualified to be prime minister than prime minister. That's all. Duly noted. Karen, we're going to talk about the rebel. Do you want to uh, tell people this most recent thing? Well, my understanding is the rebel applied to get membership in at the Alberta Press Gallery. They were denied. This upset them. So they've set up an alternative press gallery, I, I guess, to, to try to uh, get membership and get access to politicians, press conferences, events that happen up in the legislature. That's what the that's what the membership gets you. It so happens that the president of the press gallery is also an employee at Post Media and Rebel Media has been writing on their site that it was Post Media who denied them the press pass, which I I, I don't think is actually the case. But Post Media comes forward, perhaps as a result of this pressure. I don't know. Um, but they come forward and put out a statement saying that they will withdraw their papers from the press gallery, sort of in solidarity with Ezra Levant, saying that there's a broad definition of journalism and people should not be denied access or membership in a press gallery because of their opinions. Although I'm not sure that's why they were denied. I won't defend the rebel, but I'll defend anyone's right to be considered a journalist or something is, is, is a position that uh, I once uh, had the misfortune of taking when a very similar drama played out when they were uh, barred press access to the U.N. because the U.N. said you're an advocacy organization, not not journalism. And, I, and I'm like, oh, well, that's fighting words for me. I don't like it when the people we cover, powerful people in the world, say, I'm going to determine who's a journalist and who isn't. And if you're an advocacy organization, you're not a like Whatever the criteria is for excluding someone from journalism, that's the excuse that powerful people are going to use to not be accountable to journalists, to, to not give access to journalists. So, you know, there's like an old school ethic of like, you know, I'll stand beside somebody I find repugnant because we all have to present a united front. And this played out again. And I guess what I want to talk about with you uh, as as a individual human being with opinions, not necessarily as the former president of the CAJ, because the CAJ, the, the Canadian Association of Journalists, did get involved in this. And we'll get to that. I just want to talk with you about the rebel and its history uh, in these dramas, in these, uh, mm. I think, highly anticipated, cynical, staged acts of um, political theater stunts, publicity stunts. You know, it goes back a long time. Actually, the Canadian Association of Journalists defended the rebel in 2016 when uh, Rachel Notley's government in Alberta barred them from the, the press gallery. And then uh, there was like a court action where they were given access after that. Then there was the UN one in the same year that I that I uh, referenced earlier, where the UN ultimately had to let them come. They won a legal battle uh, to get access to the leaders debate in 2019. People keep pushing them out. 
And I think that the mistake that people make when they push them out is they say, we're, we're not giving you access because you're, you know, an advocacy organization or something like that. There's a much better reason to not let them come. The reason is they're assholes. <laughs> they're not actually there to do journalism. They don't cover legislatures. They don't have reporters there every day doing the work. When they ask questions, they don't actually care what the answer is. If, like, if, if, like when Key and Bexty, like now he's got this shtick that like they're one of their last remaining reporters where he's always like trying to get in to some Trudeau presser and, uh, and then he films himself getting removed by security. I came to the Canadian embassy, my own embassy to cover my own prime minister and the doors were closed on me. The security guards over there came up to me on the public sidewalk and told me that I wasn't allowed to be there and they were going to see if I was allowed to stay. You can see she's on the phone right now. This is Ottawa, Canada, 2020, when Justin Trudeau is having his RCMP throw out a journalist for no reason because I wouldn't show him my phone. You're twisting my arm harder. And then Ezra Levant like raises money or gets email addresses um, for his legal fund or some shit like that. Mm -hmm. You know, I... In the rare occasion where he actually gets to ask a question, it's never actually a question. It's just like, you've committed treason. What do you have to say for yourself? And aren't you ashamed? Like, they just disrupt things where other journalists are trying to do their job in the same way that I think you don't have to be in the journalist club to go to the legislature and see what your elected leaders are doing and write about it. But by the same token, anybody who goes into a legislature and starts screaming stuff gets fucking thrown out the back door. And there's no good faith. There's no reason to let these asshole con men grifters anywhere. I don't know. I guess they should be allowed in public parks, maybe. Like, <laughs> so to, to, to Ezra's thing where he says, you're not getting rid of me um, because I have an opinion. You're getting rid of me because I have a bad opinion. And he, he always, you know, picks these fights that he can win. And I think he's a much more talented uh, charlatan slash legal weasel than he is any kind of a reporter by his own description. He'll always choose these things where he can kind of look good. But the bottom line is you're not what you say you are. Like you're only interested in the optics of being denied the access and forcing people to come up with some convoluted reason you don't need any reason but that it's you. I think Ezra, if you have him on your show, is going to have a very different perspective on that. I'd like to actually take this into like a big picture for a moment. Okay. And since you're asking me as as Karen, I will give you the, the Karen thought on where the media world is. There's this blurry line of who gets to be considered media. We're not in the same media system that we were in years ago. There's the spectrum. We need to have some sort of nuanced conversation about what we're looking at now. It's not really about one person and a, and a website to me. Talk to me now, not as Karen, but as a, uh, <laughs> what is your role with the Canadian Association of Journalists now that you've stepped down as president? I'm, I'm on the board. So I'm on the national board and I'm a co-chair of the advocacy committee. So this time the CAJ weighed in not to say we, we, we support the rebels right to access the, uh, the press gallery, but instead saying that the press gallery has a duty and a right to determine access. And so we support the press gallery's decision to exclude the rebel. I guess I'm with you so far, but then it got into some weird stuff that's very similar to when the UN said uh, the rebel can't come in because it's advocacy journalism. This press release goes on to talk about this very scary media landscape we have these days where there's all kinds of bad actors some of them pose as journalists, and that's certainly a concern, like, you know, Doug Ford's Ontario News Now, which is actually st provincial state news posing as a news broadcast. Or, you know, the Alberta War Room, they've called themselves journalists in the past, so we have to guard against that. And then press progress is thrown into the mix. Press progress is advocacy journalism that's run out of the Broadbent Institute, which is like an NDP-affiliated think tank. But it's also like they break solid, valid news stories all the time. So that was the first one. I'm like, where's the CAJ going with this press release? There was um, a few other people who wrote to us and said, well, why are they in there? I disagree with you also that there's a tone that there's this big, scary media landscape. What we are saying is that there's a media landscape out there where there's new players and some of them are, you know, fairly obvious. Like we can understand that they're journalists and there's other places that blur the line. What it says is it says 
we've also seen the rise of sites and organizations that mimic journalism, including government propaganda sites such as Ontario News Now or Alberta's Energy Centre, semicolon, <laughs> wow, okay. newsletters, websites, and video content produced by corporate lobby and advocacy groups such as Progress Alberta, the Broadband Institute's Press Progress, semicolon, and disinformation sites such as the now defunct Yellow Vest Group. And I guess, you know, the reason that a, a group like Press Progress is in there is because we're just saying it's like if, if you had said there's an advocacy group that you go to the broadband site and on their website, you click and now it takes you to their news site. Back in the day, I don't know that anybody would have looked at that as journalism. But now, like, as you say, sometimes they break stories. You're just like, I think, stumbling into territory that you don't want to be in, I, I will suggest. Like, you know, now you're into the territory of like Desmond Cole being shown the door at the Toronto Star, being told you can't be a, an activist and a, and a columnist at the same time, which is not true at the Toronto Star. There's a long history of people who did both, but they had different opinions than Desmond Cole. I want to say, like, with Desmond Cole, there was a lot of stuff going on there. I'm e-listening to his book. He was told to stop writing about uh, black people at one point. He was told at one point that the board thought that all he did was write about carding. And they weren't aware that he wrote articles on different topics. So there was a lot going on there that I think, I, I don't know if that was an excuse or what. So the CAJ has this statement, which actually, for the first time in a long time, led me to look at what CAJ has as criteria for membership in the CAJ. And I'm going through this list that like, you can't take money from anyone you cover and like all of these rules. I'm like, wow, this actually would exclude like every journalist in Canada working for a mainstream or like only Canada land would qualify for CAJ <laughs> membership at this point because so many things in journalism are in flux. And the idea that you can't be an advocate and a journalist. No, I see. We didn't say that there is a difference between between, and, and we say in here, we embrace a broad difference of journalism, uh, or journalist and journalism. A journalist is somebody who does journalism. What we were making the point is that not everybody out of this wide branch can have a press pass. Like, let's just be honest. If we look at how we decide membership, we don't give membership to everybody. Now, you can dispute and say, well, you know, let's go through the list of every journalist in Canada and decide who gets a membership or who doesn't or like whatever. Like, I mean, it's not really how it works. I don't arbitrarily decide who gets a membership. There's a committee that takes a look at that and there's a fair and open process. But what we're looking at here is we're saying, OK, since we're talking about the rebel, let's just be honest and say, they wouldn't make our criteria either. And here is why. You would be in such better shape if you just said it's because they're assholes. I can't exclude all assholes. We wouldn't have any members, <laughs> including me, <laughs> including the two people on this podcast. Who is a journalist is like just of increasingly narrow importance as the profession gets minimized, but the practice gets blown to the entire population. And I think that the problem is not with journalism or even with this category, it's increasingly with any institution or practice that requires making those determinations. So issuing press passes or having a press gallery or having a Canadian Association of Journalists, those are increasingly tortured exercises. In a world where every horrible thing that I will say about Ezra Levant and the Rebel they're still human beings and human beings can do like tomorrow. These charlatans and liars could have a huge scoop. And as long as it's true and as long as it's of the public interest, they're still capable of journalism like anybody else. I agree with you. And I, I, there's nowhere in here. Like we say, we accept a broad definition of journalism and journalists. What we're talking about is how places make decisions to like about their members or who gets asked us because I mean the, the truth is every single Canadian could do journalism they can't all fit up in a press gallery so there's got to be a way to restrict or to choose and so you need an open and fair process I think the other thing I think that we're bringing up is that when we don't decide other people make the decisions for us so the CAJ has been consistently against uh, as you pointed out people in power being able to say you're not a journalist I mean this is just like a, a different a politer version of Trump yelling fake news at people when people restrict access and say you can't ask me a question because I'm not going to be accountable to you mm -hmm. I have now found a reason for you not to be here we're against that we've stood up for that we'll continue to stand up for that
Karen, that's your shortcuts. Thank you for joining me for it. Thank you for having me, Jesse. Everybody, you can email me about it at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read everything that you send. Our website is canadalandshow.com. Come check it out for all of our coverage. Uh, Come sign up for our newsletter. Karen, where can people find you? Oh, um, I guess they can follow me on Twitter, at Karen Pugliese. Nobody can spell that, though. So there's also uh, Pomades, which uh, is my indigenous name, which is a little easier to find. Spell that. P-A-M-A-B-A-D-I-Z. I'm on Twitter, at Jesse Brown. This episode is produced by Tiffany Lamb. Our managing editor is Andrea Schmidt. Syndication is handled by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. If you like Canada Land, please support it. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada Land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada Land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will let me serve in this case. She's gonna get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.